Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very accomplished poet and author from New York, USA, Mr. David Groff. David, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. David is a poet writer and independent book editor, a culture worker, and a teacher. His latest book of poems is Live in Suspense. David has co-edited two anthologies, and with the kind of background he has, he's been awarded, recognized, and felicitated several times. So David, before we talk poetry and about your book, tell me about your own amazing journey in brief. Uh I grew up as a boy on the East Coast of America and uh, grew up wanting to be president of the United States. Mm -hmm. I was uh, a political kid growing up in the 60s and 70s when there was so much ferment in the U.S. Yeah. And I went to uh, Princeton expecting to be a, a public affairs major. But along the way, I fell in love with poetry. Mm. I sort of I loved the the reading and the possibilities of it and had some wonderful teachers, which I mm. think makes such difference for all of us who transformed me. And uh, so I didn't want to be president of the United States anymore. <laughs> I yep. think I mostly just wanted people to stand up when I walked in the room. Mm. And of course, with poetry, they don't do that. So I went to Princeton and then from there went to the University of Iowa Writers Workshop which was, uh, and I guess is one of the main uh, MFA places in the United mm -hmm. States for, mm -hmm. for literature, and then became an editor after that at Crown Publishers, which was part of Random House, mm -hmm. is part of Random House, Penguin Random House now. And so I began to work with authors a lot. And for nearly 30 years now, I've been an independent book editor working with authors, publishers, and their literary agents, even as I've continued poetry and wow. managed with all of that to uh, to have three books come out mm. uh, over, over these last years. Uh, so balancing my own work with my work uh, with other uh, with other writers. Amazing. Amazing. So, you know, you did tell me you wanted to be present and then along the way you decided to uh, start writing poetry. But what was your inspiration to start poetry and not any other kind of prose? And what would you describe as your writing style? I think there's something about poetry I think I liked because it was so concentrated, because you could work generally, not always, but on a small field, you know, mm -hmm. the field of the page. And that intensity and, the, and its relation, I think, to visual art, because it's image based, as I tell my students, mm. um, and also music, because it's it's all inhabited by the voice. I think that form, even more than than prose, mm. uh, made me felt just right for me. It certainly doesn't have the largest audience generally mm. compared to other written mm -hmm. forms. But the concentration, the intensity, and the kind of non-rational way that that poetry hits you, the way a gorgeous work of visual art does or or music mm -hmm. does, mm -hmm. I think were the things that that related to me uh, to it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm what I would call a linear poet, which mm -hmm. is a term I use. I'm not sure others do to describe somebody who is either telling a story in a poem, mm -hmm. you know, where a poem occurs in time, mm -hmm. or telling a lyric that you can follow, you know, that there is a kind of direct correlation, mm -hmm. a cause and effect between lines, which means that my poems are more understandable, I think, than mm -hmm. certain poets who can work in more nonlinear right. 
associative ways, which are wonderful. And sometimes we poets and non-poets can have some responses to. But I'm hoping that people will get what's going on in my poems, whether well I'm telling a story or uh, having uh, an, an, a, a moment of enlightenment. Mm, thank you. And are there any specific themes or subjects that you often explore in your work? Uh, I, I, I'm going to make myself sound very depressing, but uh, I think my poetry is pretty existential. Mm -hmm. It is uh, dealing with matters of life and death and meaning. Um, a recent reviewer compared this new book to something that Kierkegaard would appreciate, which was like a big comment. Mm -hmm. But I think there is that sense of the elemental things really working. I'm the son of, a, of an Episcopal minister, an Anglican mm -hmm. yeah. uh, priest. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still, I think, am kind of haunted by questions of faith and connection and meaning and also love lost. There are a lot mm -hmm. of elegies from my parents. There's also a lot about HIV AIDS, which was something that very much affected my life growing up. And that has kind of been a portal of entry into mm -hmm. dealing with these things. I've also, I think, gotten more meditative and more mm -hmm. accepting in the poems. So there's an, a spirit, I hope, of almost uh, 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 invisible Buddhism in some of the later poems mm -hmm. where I can kind of rest in suspense, not just mm -hmm. live in it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And my next question is that what role does a, a mastery over the language and its nuances play in your poetry? Uh, I think more and more I've gone back to just reading and appreciating and seeking to write the beauty in language. Mm -hmm. I think uh, for so many of us, there are a lot of people who read poetry but don't read poetry books, right. you know, but they, they still seek poetry out in vital moments. And I think so often the language of, um, of our public discourse and sometimes our private discourse is so um, uh, normalized that we still want to be startled into attention, mm. into connection with things. And I think we we seek poetry out for that, whether it's for, you know, uh, something that at, at a wedding or something at a moment of crisis or a moment of clarity that is unparaphrasable and mm. true, that makes it different from an editorial mm. or uh, a statement of purpose or some of the other kinds of writing that your listeners and all of us might be doing. Mm. Um, we can trust what we can't totally understand sometimes and be moved by it. And mm. I think we seek that out. I certainly seek it out as a poet, that richness and lushness and color, mm. uh, even if it's, to, you know, even if it's utterly apprehensible on, on first or second read. Mm, wonderful. And have you ever experimented with different forms or styles of poetry? And if so, how was that experience? I um, have somewhat, and I wish I, and I want to even more. I'll show you just one poem from mm. my, my new book. Um, this is my book, Live yeah. in Suspense, mm. uh, with its tippy columns that mm. suggest, I hope, suspense. And a number of the poems in the book have to do with uh, elegies from my parents and mm. imagining in certain cases where my par how my parents might have an afterlife. And my father had a little tiny boat that he loved. You know, he loved getting away from the church and have being on his own time. And I'm not quite sure you can see it, but no. the poem is called His Craft. Mm -hmm. And it's basically shaped like his little like boat. Little, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's, you know. Why, that's, why don't you read, a, read out a few lines of it? Okay. Um, the ending goes, um, uh, 
at home in the fishless afternoon of what his father would call a day in the open, his wife reading on the far shore of the shade, his son in sight on the dock, forever a man in a cove at the edge of the bay, sheltered, the river sticks a home, the boat his harbor. Now, beautiful, beautiful words. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for sharing this. Well, just one more note on this, I think, is that mm -hmm. so many poets, and I think one thing that's happening now, are working with video, audio, music. Mm -hmm. um, all of the forms in in English literature in the U.S. and I think around the world and in other languages is blurring forms and cross-pollinating. And I think mm -hmm. it's very exciting that mm -hmm. things will be leaping off the page into, mm -hmm. into new media. And I'd like to be part of that beyond just my, my boat poem. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And... Uh... Has there been any memorable experience or incident that has shaped your writing career? I uh, have. I, I had a wonderful teacher named Marie Ponceau, who wrote her first book when she was about 34 and then proceeded to have seven children mm -hmm. and teach and went back to poetry and teaching later in life. And she was able, when we all were gathered around a table, to have us share poems and not to critique them, which is how I was brought up, not to find out what was wrong with them, mm. but to appreciate them, to observe what poetry could do. Mm. And the idea of approaching language or one's art from a place of praise and appreciation didn't simplify it for us, but it opened it up for us into a way of caring and mm. uh, 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 valuing that ultimately helped the poet uh, based on what we saw. So the idea of not constantly critiquing our work, uh, whatever kind of work that is, but mm -hmm. seeing what's good in it is something I've tried to do as a book editor and as a human being mm -hmm. and in my writing to say, here's some stuff we can love that we appreciate. Let's learn from that, from what mm -hmm. people have done well. And that's a way to to revise and improve our work. Mm -hmm. So Marie Ponceau, who died at 98 uh, four years ago, uh, uh, it was a wonderful, you know, wise woman for me that way. Mm. And that was a huge lesson of, of praise and, and observation. Wow. wow. My next question is, uh, you know, and I've seen it myself and I've been writing for the last whatever, 14, 15 years. Uh, how do you think your writing style has evolved over the years? I think I am... Um, I think that uh, when we're actually writing seriously, mm. that writing is not just an act of self-expression, mm. it's an act of communication. Mm. And uh, we, we all can self-express in diaries and journals and other kinds of private writings, maybe even on social media. Mm. But I'm really fascinated with the idea of connecting and imagining a reader for our work, that there is this intimate connection we have with so much of the work we do and those who will value it, appreciate it, consume it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm caught more up in that, not in the first drafts of things, but I think later on mm -hmm. when I'm thinking, how will a reader care about this? Of all the poems and all the world, of all the works of communication, what can I do that will move them? Mm -hmm. And how can I create an eye-to-eye -eye contact with them while maintaining my own integrity? So I think that's come uh, front and center even more along maybe with an extra kind of honesty, mm -hmm. you know, that I don't want to, you know, mess around. I want to, life is too short. I want to kind of open my heart and, and my head to, mm -hmm. uh, to connect and, and uh, relate. 
Wow. One more question relating to poetry, and then I will talk a little bit about uh, your role as an independent book editor. What role do you think poetry plays in society today? Ah, I grapple with this all the time. I was teaching my NYU students yesterday about it, and I'll teach my City College of New York students today. Mm. Um, Shelley, Percy Bysshe Shelley said that poetry, poets are the unacknowledged <laughs> legislators of the world. Mm. And that's pretty huge, even if they're unacknowledged. Right. And right. poetry is, I think, in many ways, marginalized, at least in book form. Mm. Um, poets, poetry is read by other poets but not only. And I think to me that in a world where so much language is disposable, mm. there are ways for us to come back to things that are more enduring, more unparaphrasable, and more in, intense. Mm -hmm. And I'm inviting more and more people to appreciate poetry, not mm. as something we can decode or puzzle out the way I think most of us have been taught, mm. but to kind of allow to wash over us. And I think good poetry really lasts. And I'm interested in all kinds of art and works of communication that right. can endure beyond a news cycle. Mm -hmm. And we may not be legislators, but in the words of Wallace Stevens, who was a very imaginative, esoteric poet, mm -hmm. the purpose of poetry is to help people to live their lives. Mm -hmm. And that may not be a one-to-one -one correspondence of, uh, of self-help, mm -hmm. but I think it's a subtle thing about our largest selves and our, our largest possibilities of connecting in the moment and over time. Mm, fascinating. So, David, let's talk about now your uh, you know, role or your life as an independent book editor. And you have edited books by Pulitzer Prize winners and recipients of the National Book Award. Let me start by asking you, what role does an independent book editor play in helping authors refine their story, structure, and plot development? Uh I think um, editors, first of all, are at their best uh, lenses that can actually sharpen how a writer will, will view their work. Um, editors certainly are acquiring editors at publishing houses. They're marketing people. They do the dance of the seven veils for sales folks. Mm -hmm. That kind of corporate editor is there also doing this work. Mm -hmm. For me as an independent editor, um, I learned that I was a content guy. I was good at the marketing stuff within a house, but I loved actually working on manuscripts. My authors come to me sometimes with contracts for books already. Uh, sometimes they're seeking them. Sometimes their agents uh, come to me uh, with projects they want to sharpen. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, 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 the publisher will come to me. So um, I, again, try to kind of imagine a reader for a work mm -hmm. to say, hmm, how can we make this book the best it can be for a reader who is not you and not one of your friends, not mm. someone who has a vested interest in keeping you happy. Mm. So um, I, that reader, of course, it will buy the book and support your career, but mm. also will spend eight or nine hours of their life reading it. So framing things that way in a very basic way can be clarifying as we figure out in our short attention span world how to get it open quickly, how to make it clear, how to create a narrative, whether it's memoir, history, or fiction that grapples with people, how not to have reductive endings, um, how to kind of earn those moments. Um, as an editor, I think I, I have a mission statement. I have, as a writer and human, I have it really, mm -hmm. to unite my kind of writing work with um, uh, my editing work. And I believe that my mission statement, my mission mm -hmm. is to enable resonant words. 
whether they're my own or other people's. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a teacher, I try to do that too. So I want the words to resonate. I want them to be worth people's time. And I can get into the weeds on all of that. But that larger sense of connecting with the reader honorably mm -hmm. to crystallize and sharpen the lens of how we see, mm -hmm. I think, is is the overall the way I try to go into things, whether whatever kind of work it might be. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And uh, you've been you know, writing and seeing publishing for three, three and a half decades. What are some of the changes that you have seen taking place in the world of publishing? And how can authors take advantage of that today? Uh, I think in many ways, it's it's very daunting. It's easier in some ways to get published than it ever was because there are so many, you know, as, as your listeners and viewers will know, you know, there's so many ways to self-publish, which I think can be a great avenue. I think there are, uh, when I was a kid, uh, more books, sold fewer copies mm. and now at least in the mainstream legacy publishers mm. i think around the world it's winner take all mm. you know you have a short window to sell a lot of copies you better do that on your first book otherwise it's going to be hard to maintain a career mm. but there is still that long tail and there's a way i think that authors can figure out who best will publish them from university presses to the mm. mainstream legacy dinosaur publishers to small and independent presses as well Right. Uh, and sometimes through their own work, their own efforts, if they have ways to publicize it. I think more than ever, it's uh, people want to read. Not, don't, people don't want to read books. They want to read authors. Mm. And the more one is a presence in the world, as you are, the more um, people will want to read that person. We talk not about reading a book, but reading um, a particular writer who's uh, who's important to us. And I think accepting that role and embracing it and putting your, your work front and center as a way to manage that. Very fascinating. And what are some of the common challenges you have observed authors face when they work with an editor? Uh, I think it, there's a, there has to be a real kind of trust. There has to be kind of an openness to the process, an ability to wish to revise. And I find most of my authors have that if they come to me. Mm. Sometimes you have to send your your little puppies off to the farm because they're not going to work um, in the book. Mm. Um, and that can be a real kind of experience of revelation. Mm. I think often the books are so personal mm. that uh, we have to kind of detach a little bit from uh, certain things that feel they need to be said mm. uh, so that the reader can connect with a larger story that may be actually more deeply personal. Amazing. So time for two more questions for you, David. Uh, how do you approach the delicate task of providing constructive criticism uh, when you're reading a script? Uh, um, I, uh, I, I go back in some ways to what I said about my teacher, Marie Ponceau, the idea of observing certain things, mm. of praising people, which grown-ups don't get enough praise in the world in general. Right. And I think there are ways to observe and there are ways to ask certain questions mm. like, why is it that the uh, we get a lot of setup here and the actual action doesn't start till page 20? Right. That's a leading question, but a better one than sort of pointing a finger and hectoring. So I think there's kind of a gentle collaborative process around questioning and observing that can allow us to kind of have our best connection over time um, without uh, the editor being the right one. Editors are wrong all the time. And to be to be vulnerable, both as editor and author, I think mm -hmm. can make a huge difference to the ultimate book and its readership. 
Mm, well said. Uh, my last question, David, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. A lot of them, I don't think I've met anyone who doesn't aspire to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few people actually put pen to paper, so to speak. But uh, my question is, what would what three lessons would you be able to give to aspiring authors? I think the, the, the poet uh, Mary Oliver has a famous line in a poem where she says, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of people quote that, but I think it's a summons to us to try yeah. to, to make our stories known. And I think everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. And I think one lesson is that we can tell it and we can tell it in little bits. Mm-hmm. Marie Ponceau, my teacher with seven children, mm-hmm. said you can always write a few poems or a few lines a day. You have the time. You really mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. So make the time you know, for your wild and precious life in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. Um, invite readers into your life and uh, for your own work. Mm-hmm. And be sure to read a lot as well, I think would be the second lesson. Um, mm-hmm. be f- share your work and learn from them and think of mm-hmm. it as an act of communication. Mm-hmm. And third, I think kind of write for the future and write for people you care about. Mm. Um, imagine strangers writing your work and that kind of intimate connection, I think, is mm. a great way to think about all of our work, you know, mm. that we want it to have an impact beyond us. You know, we are planting the seed of a tree we may not mm. see grow, mm. but if we tell our story, share our wisdom, then it may have an impact beyond us. Mm. Um, and we have a right to do that and maybe even a responsibility to to share that with, with those people and the world that we care about. Mm. Amazing. Thank you. So I'm going to say on that note and this amazing phrase, which I hadn't heard of, but I've learned it today. What will you do with your one wild and precious life? Your amazing lessons, David, make the time to write. We all can find that little time every day to be able to write. Second, you said, invite your readers to your work. And third, you said, write for the future. Thank you so much, David, for speaking to me about your journey. Thank you for talking to me about your poetry. Thank you for reading out a few lines uh, from your book, Live in Suspense. And thank you also for speaking to me about your role as an independent book editor. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.